0: Reading from Luke chapter 9, starting at verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord,
1: I'm not sure if you can tell but something awoken in me yesterday it's an old love an old interest that suddenly came sparked into my mind while i was at the preschool art day yesterday we had step-by-step drawing and of course i wanted to show my prowess over all the other preschool age ch- children the, the task was we needed to draw a shark And I thought, this is a nice shark you're trying to draw us to, but there's no real direction to the fins, and you can't really get the characteristics out of what they're doing. So I I pushed it a little bit further, and I may have drawn another little fish being very afraid of the shark. But either way, this thing was awoken in me, this old love and passion of mine for drawing. When I was quite young, I would wake up as early as possible on a Saturday morning, and all I would do was draw dinosaurs while watching Saturday morning Disney. Um, I I would be up before everybody else, and my dad would sort of come up, he was the next to always wake up, and he'd always comment on how good he thought my drawing was, completely self-taught, but I loved it, and I actually really wanted to be an animator. If I could have picked anything I would have wanted to be at that point, I wanted to be an animator, I love cartoons, I wanted to make cartoons, Uh, but over time, especially through high school, some wise words came to me from mostly my father, saying, Matthew, do you really want to pursue that it's a very niche field it's very hard to get into only so many people make it and i wondered whether i really had the skills to do it there's one guy who's now a very big name in the 3d design world Uh, And he also, at one point, wanted to be a traditional animator, doing all the sketches and drawings. But he actually pursued it. He went for it. He did the university degree. He practised for hours and hours on end. And then he went for an interview at a studio to finally be that traditional animator. And they looked at his work and they poured over it and they analysed every little bit of it. They went, hmm, look... I'm just going to be honest with you. Your line work, it's not really there. And unfortunately for you, this is something that you either have or you don't. And I'm sorry to tell you this, but you don't. So there's this guy who spent so much time and money practicing, building up to this moment, only to be told there's something that you just can't change and you just won't be able to fit into the team that we have. He actually said that I was completely heartbroken and destroyed by the interview. I kept thinking, why didn't anybody in college tell me this before I spent all this time and money working towards this goal, trying to be this animator? And what I've learned now is that you either sort of have it or you sort of don't. But that moment of just realizing that you wouldn't fit into this big team where every little bit counts. There's a whole production line of different drawers going, and they need to work together and try and get things in as synced as possible. Otherwise, you kind of see the mistakes, that doesn't work. You either fit or you don't. This person paid the cost to be what he wanted to be, but he couldn't quite fit into the industry he was looking at. And that's the truth about a lot of things, is that if you want to be anything... Well you've got to pay a bit of a cost to be that. But not only do you have to pay a cost, but you've got to fit into the world that you're trying to get into. It's a lot like a doctor. A doctor also has to spend something like eight years studying to be a doctor. And there's the internship, and there's the hex fees. That's the cost of being a doctor but you've also got to fit into the role as well. You've got to be someone that's kind of okay with being up for very long hours overnight, dealing with high stress situations, making quick decisions, and being able to work well with others and hopefully too, have at least a little bit of a bedside manner. Everything that you want to be, if you want to be someone, it comes at a cost and you also need to fit what you're trying to be. In our passage this morning, Jesus comes across three seekers and each of them want to be his disciple. And what Jesus says to them is that to be my disciple, well, it does come at a cost and you have to fit as well. This is something that is relevant for them and is also relevant for us, particularly as we go into our next step series, looking at what a disciple is is what does a disciple look like what characteristics does the disciple of jesus has so just like it was to the seekers it is to us to be a disciple of jesus comes at a cost and we also need to fit as well in the first part of the the first bit of the passage we have the first person seeking he comes to jesus with a proposition i will follow you wherever you go Big statement, really positive. This is a great thing. You think, wow, if only more people would be this gung-ho about what they want to do. And for him, he was merely sort of filling out a very strong cultural thing at the time. Whenever a teacher came into town that seen very wise, maybe had a bit of a following, it was very normal for someone to want to follow that rabbi around, to wander the countryside, hearing their wisdom, learning from them, understanding the world better, and to one day go back home and take that wisdom with them. It was normal for someone to leave the home for a few days, a few weeks, or even months to do so. But it was always with under under the understanding at some point you would return home to that comfort and stability that you know in the next part though jesus pushes back at this very 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 positive and energetic request and says foxes have dens and birds have nests but the son of man has no place to lay his head it's a bit confusing but basically jesus is saying to this guy um where are you following me to? Do you know where you are following me to? Do you know where I'm even going? Because big picture, what's happening in this scene is that Jesus has, is not just a wandering teacher. He's not someone going out and someday will return back home. He has his eyes very set on one particular location. He has been heading towards Jerusalem. So far, he has been heading towards Jerusalem, training his followers, preparing them to to go out and with his authority to exercise demons, to heal the sick, and to also proclaim the kingdom of God. As he's head towards Jerusalem with his eyes fixed on that, there's been some wins and some losses for the disciples. They have fed the 5,000 but failed to exercise the demon because Jesus had to step up and do it for them instead. They also get into a bit of a fight over who is the greatest in the kingdom. What does the greatest one of their followers look like? On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus informs them that the greatest of my followers are the last, not the first. And actually, they look much more like me than the world around us. Jesus is fixed in one direction and one location to fulfill his one mission. And so he prepares his disciples to be without him. Because Jesus' trip is one way. He's not coming back. The request from this first seeker assumes that he will be returning home one day. That at some point he'll get to go back to his family and his friends and enjoy the comfort and the stability that he once knew. Or gaining all the wisdom that he gained by following this travelling teacher around. But Jesus' response says, those who follow me need to completely leave behind everything. Because when you follow me, there is no return. And I don't think this sits easily with us, because this is the cost that comes with being a disciple of Jesus. And perhaps you may have been following Jesus for a really long time and get the sense sometimes that I'm not sure this is exactly what I signed up for. Sure, it's been fun. We had some laughs. We made some memories. We did some great things. But I'm so tired now. I'm so tired. I'm worn out. I've had enough. And I just want to go home. Jesus says, not if you're one of my disciples this response that captures this really great imagery of animals has a really big point to it too it's not just what we just talked about then but it's also gets this layer of jesus didn't come to adapt to the world instead he came to deny the world see the foxes and the birds They come into a new habitat and they adapt to this habitat. They make dens. They build nests. They set up shop to be there and to to live well in this new habitat. But the Son of Man came to restore the world, not adapt to the world. He has come with a one-way trip, one mission and one priority. He didn't come to... Find a nice place that's comfortable. Settle down so that you can work really hard to one day retire and then finally relax. Just like Jesus, we too as his disciples need to deny the culture around us. We need to deny the wisdom of the culture that causes us to not realize what our main priority is. Instead of kingdom goals, we set up life goals that we feel like we need to achieve. Otherwise, what good are we? We feel shameful when we don't reach these milestones that everybody feels that they must reach. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you are on a one-way trip to the new creation that he has promised us. And our one mission is to build his kingdom. And our one priority is to proclaim his gospel and live that gospel out. The second seeker comes, and differently to the first, he is actually invited by Jesus. Jesus invites him, saying, follow me. This is different to the first, but it's actually very similar to the early disciples. As Jesus walks across the lake and sees fishermen, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they drop everything and go and follow him. The difference with this second seeker is the invitation is there, but he hesitates. Lord, first let me go and bury my father. See, at the time, it was a very important thing to bury people just like it is today Uh, it was a command in the old testament in the law in exodus as the command to bury people it's also seen as a cultural work of love an extra uh, jewish wisdom book called the serach shows this as a really good time for mourning and grieving it is good to bury your loved ones it reads my son, let your tears fall for the dead, and the one who is suffering, grievously begin the lament, lay out his body with the honor due to him, and do not ne- neglect his burial. It is good to grieve, it is good to do this, it is good to feel the heaviness of losing a loved one. But just this wisdom also lays out that this, this burial is a point of moving on. When the dead is at rest, let his remembrance cease, and be comforted for him when he his spirit has departed. It is a time of lamenting and it's a time of closure. So, culturally speaking, what this request that this seeker has towards Jesus isn't really that out of the ordinary. It's not really that strange. It's actually completely understandable and normal. But then Jesus replies with something that just comes across so cold, so unloving, seems to show no empathy for this seeker's situation. He says, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. What he's not correcting and critiquing is loving of the Father. He is not correcting the emotion behind it and the motivation to do this. This is a good thing, but what he is correcting is his disciples' priority. See, to be a disciple is to know what your greatest priority is, to have one great priority. First priority is the kingdom and Jesus. The second priority of a disciple is others, and the third then is yourself. Jesus is saying that when this tug of war happens in life between something like bearing a father and proclaiming the kingdom of God, the kingdom always wins. This is what we need to be like as disciples of Jesus. The kingdom first and us second. It gets a bit tricky though because culturally speaking, we have this sense of even when we do great things, things that are culturally normal and good and seemingly for others, we can't help but have a little bit of our self-interests woven through it as well. Lisa and I are on the, we're clinging on to the block at the moment, We've loved watching the block for many years, but I'm going to be honest, the drama is getting a bit much. So we'll see what it looks like for next year. But this year has been quite interesting. Every year they have a charity week. So the contestants not only have to produce and reveal, I think it's usually their kitchen week, but they also have to go out and renovate another place that's usually a charity and make it really nice for them so they can help the community better. This year, they were helping uh, the, the Ronald McDonald House in Melbourne, really great cause. I'm not sure why a big company like McDonald's needs help to redo their backyard, but that's for them to work out, not for me. But they went in there to try and make a great environment for kids who were going through some hard times, and their parents as well, to enjoy some time together in between some really stressful and emotional times. And as they do throughout the show, they interview each contestant on what they think about what they're doing. And what was really fascinating was the default, even though they seem to be very much put on the spot of how to explain what they're doing, was, yeah, you know, it's it's really rewarding work. They're doing a great thing. This is a good thing. It's a great other-focused thing, but still woven within our default attitude is a sense of this somehow fulfills... Me. The second man, very much like this, wants to fulfill his duty to his family. He wants to fulfill and honor his father's memory when the time comes when he passes. He wants to do his duty, but he also, for himself, wants that moment of closure. This is very much for him. And Jesus is saying that actually I am greater than your culture I am greater than your duty to your family I am greater than anything and everything else and this is often the problem for us we get so under pressure by all these expectations around us the expectations of the people around us our culture around us our society not to mention our own needs Our minds are so clouded by our responsibility to everybody else and ourselves that we often don't see and don't notice what the opportunities for our greatest priority. We don't notice the needs of the kingdom amongst all this confusion and all this pressure. And Jesus says that my disciples know that I am greater. They know that I am greater than the cultural expectations. They know I am greater than their own expectations because they are among the living. They know and have their first priority of proclaiming the kingdom and proclaiming it with their whole lives. The next one, the third one, is, this time is also a proposal, a really, po- really positive proposal, just like the first one. The third and the first are quite similar, but there's a little bit of a caveat. He goes, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to my f- family. It's very similar, but it has this caveat. And like all the others, there's a bit of a cultural context too. There's a story of the Old Testament about one prophet allowing his disciple to go and say goodbye before they left. So there is reason for this. Like the others, this is not out of nowhere. There is a good cultural reason for it, through this. But what it doesn't seem to understand is the assumption here, once again, just like the first, is that this is a return trip that Jesus is just another travelling teacher who I'll go along with for a little while, but I'll come back at some point. So just let me say goodbye because I'll be back one day. Then Jesus says something that's quite striking. He says, No one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Of God. How heavy is that? Even just the act of looking back means that you are not fit for service in the kingdom of God. Just think about all the things that try and pull us back, that cause us to turn our attention. What a huge statement. the third person wanted something normal. Wanted something that everyone would have expected to be able to do. And the reason why Jesus is so harsh is because just like the first and just like the second, the third seeker does not understand who Jesus is. He is requesting to follow the author of the law. He should be following, therefore, without hesitation. There is no time to say goodbye. The promised Saviour, the Messiah, the King, the author of the law, the one who will bring and restore everything back to the way it is, is here now. There is no time for hesitation. There is no opportunity to hedge your bets, to have one foot in one camp and one foot in the other just in case. You get up and you go and you follow with no expectation to return to what you've left behind. The Greek word behind the word fit for service is one word and it actually better sounds like fit well. So someone who looks back does not fit well into the kingdom of God. Kind of like how one cog needs to fit to the other, to the fit to the other. You need to fit into the bigger picture of God's kingdom. So to turn back, to look back, to have one foot in one camp and another foot in the other means that you cannot fit into a kingdom that has one priority, one direction, and one purpose. You can't look both ways because to be a disciple of Jesus comes at a cost and requires us to fit into his kingdom. Just like the doctor needed the cost of so many years of study and practice and also needed to fit into his role. A disciple who isn't prepared to follow without hesitation, to leave behind commitments because of the kingdom, does not look forward, but is only ever pulled back. A disciple of Jesus needs to only look forward, to be fixed to the forward direction, to fit in. Why? Because this is exactly who Jesus was and is. He was obedient. He had his eyes fixed to the cross. He didn't let the world's commitments on him and the expectations of the world hold him back. He only looked forward. He never looked back. So to be one of Jesus' disciples basically means you need to be like Jesus. Each of these seekers are supposed to capture just a little bit, or a lot of, or different parts of ourselves. So are you someone who signed up and said, I will follow you no matter what, no matter where you go, only now to feel tired? like you've had enough, like maybe you didn't quite sign up for all this, and you want to go home. Or perhaps you're someone who is being held back by cultural expectations, no matter how good they may be. Or perhaps you're someone that needs to say goodbye to things from your old life. Some of the worst advice I have heard is when saying to someone, especially a young person who is trying to be a follower of Jesus, before you grow up, before you get serious about following Jesus, why don't you just go out and have some fun? Go out and enjoy yourselves and, and yourself and then come back and then you can be a proper follower of Jesus because you've experienced all that. As someone who came to Jesus much later in life, that's bad advice because you get a lot of scars along the way doing that. You get more ties to your old self, and the old way of living because of that. Saying goodbye can be dangerous. As the disciple of Jesus, we cannot turn back. We need to pay the cost of being a disciple because we need to fit the kingdom and not the world. So this week, on your way home, after church, wherever it be, have a bit of a health check on where you are. Have a heart check. Where is the joy that you're getting in life? Is it something out there or is it something that is kingdom focused? I know this in myself when I start saying things about church like I have to do this and, I have to do that. But for someone where they, their purpose and priorities are the kingdom and Jesus it should sound more like I get to do this and I get to do that for the kingdom. It's something I try and correct in myself all the time. What are your intentions like? Have an intentions check. Do the things that you intend to do, long-term, short-term, do they show someone who wants to build the kingdom? Do they lead towards the growth and the the building of the kingdom? Or do they lead towards your own interests or the expectations of the world around us? An actions check. Do the things you do day to day and over time show that you value the kingdom as your first priority? To be a disciple of Jesus comes at a cost and you need to fit the kingdom. Which isn't as huge of an ask when you realise how great Jesus is. It is a gift that we get to be his the disciple. It is a gift that we get to serve and build his kingdom. Disciples don't look back because they know what is ahead is far greater than anything behind them. Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the amazing gift of your kingdom. We thank you that by your grace that we are welcome into it and that we can serve you with the promise of eternal life. We pray for your help to deny the challenges and things that hold us back, the things that creep in, the things that are from our past that want to entice us back to a past life. Help us to resist them. Help us to be followers who do not hesitate in following you. Help us to understand who you are better and shape our lives around you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.